0: Three, two, one. Oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. this is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in, I really, really appreciate it. Today is Monday, June 4th, if I'm honest with myself, it's probably Tuesday, June 5th for you. Happy birthday, Sam Darnold, about literally, I don't have a watch, but I've looked at my risks if I had a watch. About ten minutes ago, I, I saw the news that Dwight Clark has died. Dwight Clark is a 49er great. He's a, a legend in the 49ers franchise. He is the guy who caught "quote unquote" the catch in the 49ers franchise. Um, so that is very sad. He died after a long battle with ALS at the age of 61. I want to offer the most sincere condolences to his family. They'll never see this. They don't know who I am, but I do. I feel sorry for that family. It's awful when you lose a loved one. I did once, um, and I. I man, Dwight Clark was a, 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 he's a legend. So that's a a sad loss um, for our country. Um, I want to, I don't want to waste your time. I want to jump right into things. I want to start with game two um, from the NBA finals. So game two of the NBA finals, the Warriors won 122 to 103. They, blew out the Cavs at the very end of the game. It did not seem like a, a blowout because for the most of the game, it was very, very highly competitive until about five minutes left. It was a really great game to watch. I had a ton of fun. I had my notes. I had food with me. I had my good friends next to me. It was a great, great time. I really, really enjoyed the game. And uh, it's it's really sad. I, I, I'm sad the Cavaliers lost the their momentum towards the end. And the truth is, I think it's time now for the Cavaliers to get chippy. The Cavaliers need to bring another level of physicality. This may be unpopular to say, but the Cavaliers must get rough with the Golden State Warriors. You know, I I play basketball uh, at the rec league. I play rec league basketball. And when I play a team that's far more talented than mine, when we are overmatched, clearly they're taller, stronger, better shooters. What we do is we play more physical. We we know we're not going to outplay them. They're better basketball players than us. So what we have to do is play a little bit dirty. I know that might be unpopular to say but I think that's what the Cavaliers must do now is they got to bring some fight they got to play a little bit dirty they have to rough up the Golden State Warriors or else there's there's no hope of them having any chance and and if you look at game two the difference in game two is very very clear the difference was Steph Curry Steph Curry had 33 points he had nine three-pointers you you can't and there were times I'm watching Steph Curry and I'm like "I, I don't know how you you stop that in fact you can't stop that when Steph Curry is in a run like that, it, it's unguardable. He, you know he's, he's getting pushed and still throwing up random little shots. That's like the one bef- run right at the buzzer was like, that's unbelievable. You can't, you can't stop that. And so I think what you got to do, the only way to stop a player like Steph Curry, if he's in a mood like that, is, is just get really, really chippy. You have to push around Steph Curry. You cannot allow him. You have to wear his body down physically or else he's going to have energy in the fourth and do what he did. And it may be over, anyways. It's it's worth saying, you know, the Cavaliers are now down two to nothing. It may be all for naught. The series is probably over. Um, and and it's very sad because the Cavs did a lot of good things. You know, some people in the media are acting. In fact, I even heard this exact narrative: the sky is falling for the Cavaliers. Uh, maybe if you want to, but I mean, I I watched game two and I was actually quite encouraged. I mean, the Warriors started out really really hot. The Warriors were energized and dangerous at the beginning of the game. And, uh, you know, by the way, the Warriors played much better inside, which means they're <clears throat> they're setting up shots for three-pointers later. They're, they score inside, they suck the defense in, and then later in the game, that sets up three-pointers at the end, which is kind of what we saw anyways. But, I mean, the Warriors started 11-for-12 shooting. The Warriors were unbelievable in the first quarter, and the Cavs survived it. The Cavs were resilient. They kept fighting. They hung around in the game. I mean it's very interesting. Another narrative we saw going into game two was would the game one loss would that weird emotional traumatic loss in game one, would that affect them and hold them back? Because again, that was a huge, huge fear. I had a friend of mine who was abused by her mom growing up Um, and and she entered foster care. She got adopted by another family. She moved up from California. Um, And the other day, this is, this was years ago. The other day, her abusive mom showed up at her work and it kind of ruined not only her day, but kind of her week. It threw her off for a while. Because when you go through trauma, it's really hard to recover. And I, I think it's understandable when you go through something really rough. Hey, like I'm going to give you a, some, a break. And I think game one was traumatic and hard for the Cavaliers. And yet it didn't seem to affect them. They seemed fine, which is very encouraging, very cool. So not only did the Cavaliers survive a very good start for the Golden State Warriors, The Cavaliers also survived and and bounced back from a really bad loss in game one. And, and, you know, the Cavs consistently just kept hanging around like little annoying flies. And and again, another thing the Cavaliers survived was the third quarter for the Warriors. The Warriors are notorious. They are famous for their fantastic third quarters. When people even say this is a different team, they play so much better in the third quarter. I mean, I, I just think it's interesting. They go on crazy runs all the time in the third quarter and take huge leads, and the Cavs survived even that. So they survived three huge circumstances last night. And, and you know the Cavs entered the fourth quarter only down ten points. They quickly closed it to within six points. And uh, you know six minutes left in the game, it felt like, hey, this is actually a real ball game. The Warriors and the Cavs, the the Cavs were had a chance to be down nine points. It didn't work. And uh, you know George Hill missed a shot, and then Steph Curry happened. And Steph Curry was the difference. Steph Curry blew the game wide open. So you can't survive four things like that. You survived the first quarter. You survived the emotional loss. You survived the third quarter. You can't survive four things in one game and still win. And uh, that's what the Warriors are, man. The Warriors just are a a barrage of really, really, I mean, I I don't want to call them lucky because they're so talented. I mean, look, Steph Curry had a huge, huge fourth quarter. He had 16 points in the fourth quarter. He had two huge threes at the end. You you can't stop him when he's in a mood like that. And so I just don't think that um I don't know, it's hard to have a lot of faith in the Cavaliers right now. Because unless they get really chippy and really physical and wear down the Caval- wear down the Warriors, if they, they gotta wear down Clay Thompson, they have to wear down Steph Curry, they have to make Draymond Greed angry. If they don't do something like that, if they don't play really chippy and really physical, it's not gonna work. and, and I hate to say this, but it's true. The role players for the Cavaliers are expendable. I, I don't have any problem saying if they foul out or get in foul trouble. Oh no, are we going to lose Rodney Hood? Like I just don't. I, I think they need to play very very physical and, and really really uh, make a move I, and even play somewhat dirty. I, I know that's again I'm not supposed to say that, but that's what I would do if I if it was me in my game. That's how I would play. Because if, if the Cavaliers want any chance at winning this series, they have to. They have to. I mean, look. The Cavaliers played well. LeBron James had 29 points. He had 9 rebounds. He had 13 assists. And the Cavaliers had 4 players with over 10 points. 4 players in double figures. LeBron had 29. Kevin Love had 22. Tristan Thompson had 11. George Hill had 15. I mean, I don't know. They they really did a lot of things that normally would allow them to win. The Cavaliers played really well in Game 2, and they still lost. Uh, and and I think what came down to it is that the Warriors shot almost 60% from the field and that you just can't, you can't beat that. And so because the Warriors are, sorry, because the Cavaliers are so overmatched, I think they must, they must step on the neck of the Warriors and, uh, play really, really physical. They have to, I know I I didn't use that correctly. Usually you step on the neck when you're ahead, but I really think the Warriors have to, so the Cavaliers have to come out with some kind of physicality and bruise and beat up and, Try to do something play a little cheap, play a little dirty, or else they're not gonna win. I mean they're they have no hope if they don't do something else and uh what they're doing now isn't working. I I simply don't believe that a coaching adjustment is enough for the Cavaliers to beat the Warriors. They're, you're not gonna beat them tactically. You're not going to outshoot the Warriors, certainly, and uh I think the only way the cavaliers have any hope now is if they really push around and wear down the cavalier the warriors and their bodies they're somewhat injured maybe if you push them around a little bit something happens i don't know but i'm not saying play dirty that's not really what i mean but i mean play extra physical get in their heads get in their minds and and you know wear them out they i want to see steph curry tired in the fourth quarter i don't think steph curry should be scoring 16 points in the fourth quarter if you push him around all game so that's my recommendation i don't think it's going to happen I don't think the Cavaliers are going to stoop to that level and play the way I, I would. But, um, you know, you got to do whatever it takes. And uh, I don't think the Cavaliers will. And I don't think the Cavaliers are going to win this series. I just, I mean, I never have. But I, I don't think they're even going to win two games at this point. It's, it's looking pretty, pretty bleak if you are a Cavaliers fan. All right, we have a great show today. We're going to talk about Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel made his Canadian Football League debut. I'm going to discuss that. How did it go? can he be an NFL quarterback that'll be fun. We're going to talk about how the rookie quarterbacks are doing at organized team activities at early practices in the season. I'm going to touch base with you guys. I'm going to I'm going to kind of give you an update on how the rookie quarterbacks are doing. We're going to talk about LeBron James. We're going to revisit Dak Prescott. It's going to be a fantastic show. Remember, if you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow this channel and help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show share this podcast on facebook on twitter on instagram whatever it is help me grow this show by telling your friends and if you love strong opinion sports you can subscribe on itunes on soundcloud and on youtube you can find the full entire hour-long podcast on youtube you can also find my best most interesting clips on youtube you know what this is oh i spilled water oh no this is my montana state water bottle it's, uh, it's probably my favorite thing. Uh, I, I don't know. I've been drinking more water since I got it, so it's been a very good thing for me. I want to talk about baseball. I, I found a topic about baseball. I wasn't <laughs> planning on talking about baseball until October, but I found something about baseball that I think is quite interesting. And I, what I love about this story, there are three things I love about this story. There's two I'm going to tell you, and one I'll tell you at the end. The two things, uh, first of all, that I love about this story is it allows me to criticize ESPN, which is, is fun for me. I love Any chance I can get to criticize ESPN, I enjoy that. Uh, It also involves the Yankees. I get to talk about the New York Yankees, which is fun. And so I, I think where I should go with this first is, if you don't know how scheduling works in pro sports, what happens is the network that owns the rights to the game kind of determines what time of day the game starts. So because ESPN controls their programming, they own the rights to the MLB, at least the, with a certain game I'm going to talk about, because the MLB owns the rights, they control uh, when the majority of games take place. They can control the start time because they want to program it onto their into their schedule. I mean, we see this in college football all the time. They'll choose a game of the week and then move that to a prime time slot. And uh, I, I want to talk about this. There's a game on July 8th, on Sunday, July 8th, that ESPN has rescheduled. ESPN has moved the scheduling around And it really has come around to hurt the Yankees. And the Yankees are are furious about it. I'll tell you why. The reason why the Yankees are furious is they moved things so they could feature the Yankees on Sunday night baseball, which meant their their start date for their Sunday night, for their Sunday game on July 8th got moved from 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. at night. They're playing a Sunday game in Toronto. Now it's Sunday night at 8 p.m. Well, what was already scheduled is the next day in Baltimore, they're playing a doubleheader. And the Yankees are furious because that is a massive problem. To play a late game in Toronto, get on a plane, fly to Baltimore, and then play two more games uh, the next day in another city, that's awful. I mean, whether you change the schedule or not, whether the game was 1 p.m. or 8 p.m., whether ESPN made a move to uh, mess up the schedule or not, that's terrible. That's horrible, playing... Three games in two cities in two days—that is not not good at all. Whether they move the schedule or not, but ESPN made it even worse because they scheduled the game so late. And uh, <clears throat> I just I just think that's that's unfair. That's not what you want. I know they make millions of dollars, but I, I can't imagine that's good. So the Yankees hate this. The Yankees do not want to play a doubleheader after a late night game on Sunday. The, I'm, I'm, again, imagine playing a late night game Sunday. You then fly early in the morning to Baltimore and then play a doubleheader the next day. That's awful. So the Yankees are threatening to boycott ESPN because they're so furious about this. ESPN can still broadcast games. You know, Yankees can't control that. But what the Yankees can do, the way they can fight this schedule and try to make it change is the Yankees can be uncooperative with their reporters. They can deny interviews and special access. And the Yankees, that's what their strategy is. If they boycott ESPN, they have not decided to do that yet. But the Yankees are threatening to boycott ESPN if they don't get their way and don't get their schedule changed. Yes, I I, I love this. I think this is awesome. I love drama. I think it's good for sports. And this is actually exactly what I want. So my first thought when I heard about this story, when I heard that ESPN was kind of screwing with the Yankees and really kind of screwing them over with their schedule, I thought, why don't we just pick a different matchup? The game of the week, the Sunday night baseball game you chose, is the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. That's not a huge matchup. That's not a huge historic matchup. That's not the Yankees-Red Sox. That's not the Dodgers and the Giants. Why do you need to have that game? And by choosing that game, you significantly hurt the Yankees. The other thing I heard is that, you know, they decided to schedule this game after the doubleheader had already been scheduled. It'd be one thing if, you know, they had a, because it's doubleheader because of a rain delay. It'd be one thing if Sunday Night Baseball was scheduled and then they decided to do a doubleheader. But the doubleheader was already in place and ESPN still, knowing how it would affect the Yankees, still decided to do it. That's not cool. I don't like that at all. Now, the other thing, I talked about how there were three things I loved about this story. The third thing I liked about the story, you know, I get to criticize ESPN. I get to talk about the Yankees. I also get to rail on the thing I hate. One of the things I hate the most in sports, which is the Major League Baseball schedule. It is so bleeping ridiculous. Are you serious? The Yankees, sorry, Major League Baseball is got a problem I really, really want them to fix. I think you could cut, you know, you could do, you know what you could do to solve this problem with having, again, three games in two cities in two days, the way you solve the problem immediately, cut the schedule in half, cut the season from 162 games to simply 81 games. Oh, that solves your problem right there. I, I, I was talking to my dad the other day. It's funny. My dad said, yeah, baseball, their season is way too long. They play like 120 games like no dad they don't play 120 games they play even more than that major league baseball teams play 162 games that is ridiculous that's awful why like why do that to yourself I just I don't understand I've always had this opinion sports are better when there's urgency when what's going on on screen for me to watch matters when what's happening in sports matters it's better and having more does not make it better. The NFL is a prime example of this. Quality over quantity. Quality games, there's only seven. There's only 16, 17 weeks. That's perfect. And I think basketball is closer because basketball, it's still 81 games, 82 games. It's still a little bit more than I would, but it's, it's better. Like it's interesting you have weekly narratives rather than game narratives like the NFL. But baseball is just oversaturated. There is just too much. How do I follow it? I don't. For for example, on Tuesday, Tuesday, June 5th, there are 16 games going on. What? That that's that's an entire week worth worth of the NFL in one day. I can't follow that as a sports fan. I'm sorry, I'm not going to even make an attempt. That's why I don't pay attention to baseball until October. There's too much going on. There's no urgency, there's no reason. If you lose a game, oh well, there's always tomorrow. I just don't like the MLB schedule and I really really would wish. I mean, you could cut off just 62 games from the Major League Baseball schedule and it would still be too long. Look, it'll never happen. I'm going to be until the day I die. I'll be 80 years old. And if baseball still exists, I'll be like, please, baseball, can you please shorten the schedule? And baseball will be like, no, we will never do that. It's better for money. But I, I don't know. I would engage. I would pay much closer attention to baseball if their schedule was shorter because I simply I think it's too much. And, uh, you know, as a consumer, I'm begging, for the love of God, can we cut off like 60 baseball games? Give me a reason to watch. Give me some urgency. Give me something baseball doesn't have until October, please. And uh, you wouldn't have a situation like the Yankees having to play three games in two cities in two days if you just would shorten the Major League Baseball schedule. Uh, Rants. I guess I've just been ranting about baseball. I don't have anything... Other than Shohei Otani and Giancarlo Stanton, I guess I don't have anything great to say. I mean, look, the Mariners piss me off. The schedule pisses me off. I'm just not a big baseball fan. I don't engage until the playoffs. I just, why am Why would I care? It's like, it's like college basketball. I just, I, ugh, ugh, no interest. I want to now talk about a quarterback in the NFL that I, I want to praise this quarterback. This quarterback did something. This story was really impressive to me, if it's true. So Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. If you remember back in uh, the 2017 NFL draft, they moved up in the draft to go get Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback out of Texas Tech, in the first round. And last season, Patrick Mahomes was the backup quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. There was no expectation for him to play, and he didn't play. Alex Smith was a starter all season long. Now in the offseason, the Chiefs traded away Alex Smith to the Washington Redskins. And a story came out today that said while Patrick Mahomes was on the bench for the Kansas City Chiefs last season, um, he decided not to take any endorsement deals. Now, if this is true, it may not be true, I'll discuss that in a minute. But if it is true, I really, really like this. If Patrick Mahomes really did turn down endorsements, I think it's awesome. Now, his reasoning was really great. Patrick Mahomes. Well, this is Patrick Mahomes' agent at this point talking, but Patrick Mahomes' agent said, we didn't want to cause any trouble. We didn't want to be a distraction. Patrick Mahomes did not want to be a distraction from his team's success. He's a backup quarterback, doesn't want to make any noise. He wanted to keep a low profile. Yes, 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 I love that. Somebody who understands maturity discipline, turning down money because you don't need the money really. And it's good because it helps your team by keeping a lower profile. This is so great. This is so awesome. I wish other people would learn from this. You don't want your backup quarterback to be a distraction. That's why I wouldn't sign Tim Tebow. It's why I would struggle to sign Johnny Manziel. And I hate to go there, but it's true. It's why I would struggle to sign Colin Kaepernick. Not because I don't like him, not because I don't like his cause, I don't like the media firestorm that would come with him because you don't want your backup quarterback to be a distraction. It's already bad enough. There's already enough things distracting your team from winning. You don't want a circus surrounding your backup quarterback. And so if it's true that Patrick Mahomes turned down endorsement deals because he didn't want to create waves, he wanted to keep a low profile, that is so great. That is so awesome. I'm in favor of that. I love that. But now before we give Patrick Mahomes... The benefit of the doubt, because you know, I I want to you know look at everything before I say this. It's it's worth noting that, and maybe it's just because I'm a I'm an evil person who thinks. You know, I I always try to outthink the room, I guess. But remember, Patrick Mahomes' agent was the one who said all this. And anytime an agent says anything, I go, hmm. Why is this being said? Is it strategic? And it probably is. It's probably a tactical move. So all of this, it, it is smart and tactical, I believe. He could be saying this simply because he wants to get Patrick Mahomes more endorsement deals. Do we actually know Patrick Mahomes was offered any endorsement deals? We don't. We have, we have no idea. We know that there's a quote in the article that says he didn't do any even though they were offered. So maybe all he's saying is we don't know if any were actually offered or not. But now they're saying, hey, we're open to endorsement deals now, now that he's a number one player. So that's what it could be. This whole story could just be a ruse to get Patrick Mahomes more endorsement deals. But either way, I think it's not a bad look for Patrick Mahomes, whether it is or not. The fact that he didn't do any deals, he probably he probably was offered deals. He's a, he's a quarterback in the NFL. He's a first round pick. Like, let's be honest, he probably got offered deals. And it's really, really good that he turned them down if he did, because I like that. You can't have your backup quarterback making noise, being a distraction. And I think it's, honestly, I can't remember a time where Patrick Mahomes was in the news for a bad reason. I really don't. And that's awesome. I like that. You know, I think of Baker Mayfield, I can immediately think of like four reasons where I'm like, oh, he did this, 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 and this. That's not good. That's distracting. Patrick Mahomes, nothing. Model off the field, same with Lamar Jackson. They're great. And I really, really like that. And uh, I think if, if Patrick Mahomes did indeed turn down endorsement deals because he wanted to keep a low profile, smart, mature move. It's awesome. You don't need the money. You'd like the money always. But he certainly didn't need it. And I really think that's a great mature move. And I really liked reading that story. <clears throat> Man, so, so game one of the NBA playoffs was so crazy, I almost missed this story. And, and I'm very excited because I... I just, I don't know. It's it's a a doozy, guys. It's one that's like, wow, how did this person get in this situation? I just don't understand. So before game one of the NBA Finals, LeBron James did an interview with ESPN's Rachel Nichols. Now, because it's owned by ESPN, I'm not going to play any of the clips. I'm not going to, I just, I don't, I'm. I don't want to mess with ESPN. I really don't. I'll criticize them verbally, but I will never um, play anything that they own because I'm I'm concerned with that. But LeBron James in this interview said three things. You can look it up. You can watch it. I'll leave a link in the bio below. The three things LeBron James said in the Rachel Nichols interview was one, he disagreed with the Kyrie Irving trade. In fact, he said he made a phone call. I guess she did, but we all know it's public knowledge. LeBron James made a phone call to try and stop the Kyrie Irving trade from happening. Uh, He certainly didn't deny it. Uh, Now, he also said he did not want the old Cavaliers general manager, who was fired. LeBron said he did not want the Cavaliers general manager, David Griffin, to be fired. So there's two things. Didn't want Kyrie Irving to be traded. He wanted Kyrie Irving to stay in Cleveland. That's what LeBron wanted. And he did not want the Cavaliers to fire David Griffin, the old general manager. The third thing he said was that him and the Cavaliers owner, Dan Gilbert, have a, quote, I quote you, working relationship, and which is actually, I think, pretty gracious. Given everything that's happened, you know, um, in the past, LeBron has referred to Dan Gilbert as his business partner. Um, I think that's pretty generous because LeBron James and Dan Gilbert, the owner of his team, are not friends. They don't, I mean, if you remember the first time LeBron James left Cleveland, Dan Gilbert wrote an open letter to LeBron James, heavily criticizing the man for his decision to leave Cleveland. Now, in this interview with Rachel Nichols, there are three things LeBron James did. LeBron James was incredibly mature. He was mature. He was also very gracious to the Cavaliers owner. And LeBron James gave no new information. LeBron James did not say anything that should have caused any kind of drama. I mean, he did say he whatever, but LeBron James was pretty good. Now right before game one like minutes before game one, Dan Gilbert responded to the interview on Twitter why 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 please keep your ego in check he did not So Dan Gilbert tweeted three things he made a bullet points and said these three things. he said first of all he praised LeBron Dan Gilbert said LeBron James has had a magical impact. We go as he goes he's the leader of the ship. We go where LeBron James takes us. The second thing Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, tweeted was he credited the Cavaliers roster for their, I think, resilient—whatever he said. He's he's a credit to the Cavaliers roster. But the third thing that the owner of the Cavaliers tweeted in his little rant on Twitter was this. He praised the trade moves. He praised the moves um, by the Cavaliers general manager, the humble— Quote, the humble, young, and talented general manager, Kobe Altman. He made two bold moves, and that is how we got here. We would not be here without the b- two bold moves made by the young, humble, talented general manager, Kobe Altman. Okay, Dan Gilbert. Whatever. I, I, I just don't understand. Like, how dense do you have to be to tweet that? Like, first of all, I, I stay off Twitter. I don't I don't like Twitter at all. I think it just gets you in trouble. And uh, I, I just want to know why. Why did Dan Gilbert do this? Actually, I know why. It's because Dan Gilbert has an ego. He doesn't want to be embarrassed. He doesn't want to look bad. And so he tried to defend himself. I, I don't understand how a guy with that bad a judgment can become a billionaire. I, 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 how? How and why? I guess maybe he's a bully. I don't understand. I don't know. But that was so immature. The three things that came from what Dan Gilbert did. So LeBron James, the three things were good. A positive impact He made friends with the owner was mature and he gave no new information everything that we LeBron James said in his interview we already knew now the three things that came from Dan Gilbert's tweets were immaturity it caused drama and it gave us a new narrative it just caused problems. I've said so many times, stay the hell off Twitter. It doesn't help you, especially if you're a billionaire. You have nothing to prove to anybody. You have $6.7 billion. Why are you getting into a a Twitter dispute with LeBron James? You're a star player who you need. I I just, I I don't understand. I, I don't get it. And first of all, you're so wrong, Dan Gilbert. LeBron James got you to the finals. It was not the trades. In fact, LeBron James got you to the finals in spite of the bad trades, in spite of the fact that you traded away a terrible trade. You traded away Kyrie Irving for the injured and very not much of an impact Isaiah Thomas. In fact, where is Isaiah Thomas now? Oh, oh he's not with the Cavaliers because you got rid of him. So why? Why would you piss off LeBron James immediately before free agency where LeBron James, let's be honest, it's not if LeBron James leaves Cleveland, it's when LeBron James leaves Cleveland, it's because Dan Gilbert is incredibly foolish. I don't understand. He should have kept his thoughts to himself. Stay off Twitter, everybody. Don't don't tweet dumb things. Don't tweet things that are bad for you. It's just not smart. I, I think this whole conversation does bring up a funny point. People always say, LeBron James should not complain about his roster, which he never does, by the way. LeBron James has never once criticized his roster. He knows he can't. He's a good leader. Uh, But it's true. I mean, people always say, they say, well, you know, LeBron James, we can't talk about how bad his roster is because LeBron James created this roster. Did he? Did LeBron James create this roster? Because I think the roster that LeBron James had in mind Must have involved Kyrie Irving, didn't it? Oh, oh, it it did. We have confirmation. And then when the Cavs' general manager, uh, when the Cavs' owner, Dan Gilbert, said everything, apparently all the trades, according to Dan Gilbert, this is his words, apparently all the trades that went on are because of Kobe Altman. Oh, so LeBron James is not on the hook for this roster? So why do we always blame LeBron James? He wanted this roster. Well, no, he really didn't. I I know. It's a nuanced argument, whatever. The point is this. (sighs) Dan Gilbert is so foolish. Why open a can of worms right at the beginning of the finals? Why would you do that? How did this man become a billionaire? I don't understand. I I just think it's dumb. I don't think you should piss off LeBron right before. And I just want to make this point once again. When LeBron James leaves Cleveland, not if, but when LeBron James leaves Cleveland, it will be a majority part because of Dan Gilbert and Dan Gilbert's foolishness. I, hope, I swear to God, I hope that was entertaining. I turned into an angry, an angry mom. It sounded like and my friend's mom would like clap her hands and be like, "Yo, Timothy, get over here." Like I mean, I I just I hope <laughs> I'm becoming I'm becoming Timothy's mom. <laughs> No, no. Um, I, I guess we should calm down and talk about Johnny Manziel. If you want to do that? Let's let's talk about Johnny Manziel. <clears throat> so on Friday, last Friday, Johnny Manziel made his Canadian Football League debut with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and uh, he, he looked okay. He did look okay. He did not look bad. It was a good, positive performance for. Johnny Menzel. Now, he didn't light it up, but he did some nice things. You know, Johnny Menzel, he threw really good on the run. He had a better offensive line, much better than in the NFL Spring League or the NFL Developmental League. And so it really was uh, a positive performance for Johnny Menzel. I mean, nothing earth shattering, but uh, again, uh, the word is positive. Not bad, not great, but a good, good start for Johnny Menzel. Johnny Menzel went nine for 12. He threw for 80 yards, plus another 10 yards he had rushing. Now, now, Johnny Menzel is a long, long way until he is uh, an NFL quarterback. Like he's, We have not seen much of him throwing downfield. A lot of dink and dunk, little short passes. We have not seen an NFL-level deep ball from Johnny Menzel yet, and all the football he's played, both between the Developmental League and the Canadian Football League. But again, it's still early. We still need to give Johnny Menzel time. At least I, you don't have to. I will. I'm going to give Johnny Manziel a little bit more time to prove himself. And the head coach of his team, June Jones, said as much. He said, look, we kept the play calling simple. We didn't call much downfield. And he said that as they continue to work with Johnny Manziel, they expect their team will get better around him. So I I think it's still in the open. You know, will Johnny Manziel be an NFL quarterback? Is he going to even be a good Canadian court level quarterback? We don't know yet. But we we do know that it, he hasn't had a positive start. Look, time will tell. We don't really know. But look, uh, Johnny Manziel will never, ever be Ben Roethlisberger. He's not 6'6". He doesn't have a huge arm. He doesn't have a cannon. But he is a, a scrappy little player. He's got a weaker arm, but he's scrappy. He can make some stuff happen. And I think if Johnny Manziel can have a lot of NFL, a lot of Canadian Football League success. I mean, a lot. He's not going to have, he's not going to just play well and go to the NFL. He's got to have a lot of success in Canada for him to move up. But if he can, he could become an NFL quarterback. Remember, there's two things. He has to be very disciplined off the field and he has to show maturity off the field, which he has to this point. I've been very, very actually impressed with Johnny Menzel. The question is, can he keep it up? But to this point, I've actually, I want to applaud Johnny Menzel very mature. I, I really, I like his humility. I It's very clear he just wants to play football, i.e. he's in Canada playing football. And so I, I think he's on the right track to having some success. Now, I don't think people realize how big the gap between an NFL backup quarterback and a Canadian starting quarterback is. People don't realize the huge, massive gap between the CFL and the NFL. Everybody in Canada playing quarterback is there because they could not make an NFL team. In the NFL, you make tremendously more money. Do you make much more money in Canada than you do in the NFL? It's not even close. Look at look at the league minimums. It's like eighty thousand dollars versus I think it's like two hundred and eighty something thousand dollars. I mean it's a massive, massive. It's like two hundred thousand more dollars is the minimum in the NFL versus in Canada. In fact, I want to talk about Travis Lule. So because I want to try to illustrate to you how big the gap is between a Canadian quarterback, a Canadian Football League quarterback, and an NFL quarterback. Look up Travis Lule. Travis Lule is awesome. He, I think he won a Grey Cup, which is the the Canadian Super Bowl. He He's done some good stuff. He's Now he's petered off as he's gotten older. But Travis Lule has done some good stuff in the Canadian Football League. Travis Lule played for montana state actually guess what montana state water bottle right here i didn't know that till i researched it i thought it was pretty cool because i'd already known who travis lulay was um travis lulay has had some success in canada he's he's one of the more successful quarterbacks in the last 10 years i would say as a not very informed person i would say that but travis lulay could not even make an nfl team he worked out for the seahawks and he got cut then he I think he was there for a couple of days and then got cut. Then he played for the Saints. He got cut after, I think, another week. And then later in December, he signed to the practice squad. I think he was there from October to December. He was on the practice squad for the Seahawks. And that's just one example. Look, the difference between a Canadian Football League quarterback and an NFL quarterback is is massive. And so Johnny Menzel's going to have to be absolutely fantastic. He's going to have to light up the league in order for him to move on to the NFL. But I want to say it's still possible. He's had a very positive start. He's showing maturity off the field. He's looking not bad on the field. They're being simple. He's easing into it. But this is a very positive start. It's the beginning of a long process for Johnny Menzel. I'm excited to follow. But that's the groundwork. He has a huge uphill battle to climb. He could make it. But there's a long way to go if Johnny Manziel wants to be an NFL quarterback. All right, we have one, two. We we have three stories. You guys are you're getting a treat today. Today's a lot of football. I started with basketball. I even got in a baseball story. You guys, you're so lucky. We're gonna talk about the rookie quarterbacks. Then we're gonna talk about a Raiders player. That's gonna be fun. And then we're gonna revisit Dak Prescott and Dak Prescott's potential to play. And will he be the starting quarterback in two years? That's a question I'm going to answer. It'll be fun. But at first, I want to start by talking about the rookie quarterbacks and their success or not success at OTAs. So I have seen stories that Sam Darnold struggled in his first week of OTAs in the NFL. And people are have been attacking him. People have been, oh, he's not any good. And comments have been, we're so glad we didn't draft him, yada, yada. Um relax. It's it's week one. You don't need to come down so hard on Sam Darnold. First of all, if you're going to criticize Sam Darnold, you probably should also criticize Baker Mayfield. Now, people that are Bills fans, like, we don't care. We have no, we'll criticize whoever we want. But uh, Baker Mayfield struggled early as well. Sam Darnold struggled in his first week of OTAs. Look, Baker Mayfield struggled. Baker Mayfield had three interceptions in one practice. It's what happens. Both sound like they are improving. Both Sam Darnold sounds like he's improving. Baker Mayfield sounds like he's improving. And I think it's interesting. If you watch the practice from the Jets, I've been watching online, just highlights, but it's very clear Sam Darnold has the best arm on the Jets. His ability to throw the ball is head and shoulders above everybody else wearing a Jets uniform. But Sam Darnold needs to develop and he needs time to catch up to the speed of the NFL. He needs to get better reading defenses, knowing where to go with the ball. That's That's what Sam Darnold needs to work on. I think, I think it's very interesting. I want to point out. Remember, Baker Mayfield is 23 years old. As I'm talking right now, Sam Darnold is 20. But by tomorrow, he turns 21 on June 5th. So that's June 5th or July 5th? I think it's June 5th. I think it's tomorrow. I think tomorrow is Sam Darnold's birthday. Baker is older than Sam Darnold. He's older by two and a half years. I want to ask the question, how will Sam Darnold be when he's 23? Because right now, Baker Mayfield's 23 years old. In two and a half years, in three years, when Sam Darnold is also 23, how good will Sam Darnold be? We forget how much more ahead of, of Baker Mayfield is in the process than Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield's been playing football. He's been alive longer. I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm very comfortable, relaxing, giving Sam Darnold time. He's the youngest quarterback in the draft. He was the second quarterback picked. There's no rush to play him in the Jets. You have two good quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater and Josh McCown in place. There's no rush to play Sam Darnold at all. Now, another narrative I've seen is that, you know, oh, Josh Allen is just killing it for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, everybody working for the Bills organization, everybody taking a paycheck from the Buffalo Bills is saying, oh, Josh Allen's killing it. Okay, relax. First of all, you're biased as all get out. You're being paid by the Bills, so I don't, I don't wanna hear what you have to say. But second is that Josh Allen is, is taking reps with the third team in Buffalo. He's not taking reps with the first team. He's not taking reps with the starters in Buffalo, which is something Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are doing. So, of course, I would hope to God that Josh Allen is able to shred the third team defense, but I I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, if you're going to judge him, judge him on the same scale as everybody else. I also want to talk about Lamar Jackson. There's been reports about Lamar Jackson in Buffalo, that he has been really, really accurate. He's been great throwing the ball over the middle of the field. However, when Lamar Jackson tries to throw deep balls to the outside along, outside the numbers, oh, then his accuracy wanes and he struggles. Hmm, who said that? Who who, who, who could have said that? Um, And maybe his breakdown video of Lamar Jackson like a month ago. Oh, oh, that's right, I said that. Yes, that's, I think we need to give Lamar Jackson time. Give Lamar Jackson a year, a year, maybe two. There's no rush. Now, Joe Flacco's contract is up at the end of the year. It's a contract year for Joe Flacco. But give Lamar Jackson time. He needs to improve his mechanics. And if he improves his mechanics, he will improve his accuracy down the field. But I I think there's no rush with Lamar Jackson. If he looks bad in preseason, he's missing throws. No problem. He's going to get better at accuracy. Remember, Patrick Mahomes did not play until week 17 last year. And yet he is now the starting quarterback for the Chiefs. We could see a similar thing with Lamar Jackson. There's no rush. He's got to work on his mechanics. Be patient with Lamar Jackson. Now, Josh Rosen, he may start day one. Josh Rosen in the Arizona Cardinals organization looks, oh my goodness. Everybody's like, he might be the best quarterback in this draft. Well, uh, remember, everybody said that months ago. Everybody said, Josh Rosen is the most Pro ready quarterback we have. Now here's what I want to remind you. I want to remind you of some history. Dan Marino fell in the NFL draft. And Aaron Rodgers fell in the NFL draft. Even even Tom Brady, but I don't want to work that one. He's he was drafted much later. Josh Rosen fell in the NFL draft similarly to Dan Marino and Aaron Rodgers. And both years later were the best quarterbacks from their draft class. I think that Josh Rosen is very similar. Josh Rosen feels similar to Dan Marino and Aaron Rodgers. Falling in the draft, and clearly they were overlooked. I, I don't think the Browns have any regrets, but I do know this. Josh Rosen could possibly play week one. He might be fantastic. He might be the best quarterback in this draft class. But I was right about one thing. I said early on he would be the best quarterback. We don't know if that'll hold up over the next five years. But Josh Rosen right now looks like the best quarterback chosen in last year's draft class. There's two other quarterbacks I want to talk about. So first off is Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph is keeping his head down. He's fine, making improvement. There's no reason for panic. Look, he's looking. First of all, there's definitely no reason to panic because reports are that Mason Rudolph is having some small mistakes like with getting snaps, uh, the ball under snaps, under center, yada, yada. But Mason Rudolph looks pretty good. And that's good because there's no rush. He can have two, three years to improve. So I feel good about Mason Rudolph with the Steelers. Now, Kyle Lauletta is what's interesting. Kyle Lauletta right now is not the third string. He's not the second or the first string. Kyle Lauletta, the woo, the great draft pick everyone that's a fan of the Giants told me about. Right now, Kyle Lauletta is the fourth string quarterback taking reps for the New York Giants. He's behind Eli Manning, Davis Webb, and Alex Tanney. Alex Tanney, if you look up Trickshot Quarterback on YouTube, you'll probably find a video of Alex Tanney. Um, now, I, I want to be fair to Kyle Laletta. So Kyle Lalletta doesn't look impressive. Everyone's saying he's, he's fine. He's just young. I've said the same exact thing about Sam Darnold and the same exact thing about Baker Mayfield. So I want to be fair to Kyle Lalletta. If I'm going to gonna give Sam Darnold a pass because he's early on in the process, if I'm going to give Baker Mayfield a pass because he's early on in the process, I will do the same thing for Kyle Lalletta. Kyle Laletta is a rookie. He's on the roster. He's learning. Fine, that's awesome. But the one thing I do want to say, and I want to push back against Giants fans: look, it's fine. Kyle Allada is going to get better. I can't wait to watch him in the preseason. I hope he delivers something interesting to watch. But what is interesting is all the Giants fans kept telling me his arm strength is not a problem because I criticized his arm strength. I said Kyle Allada may not have the arm strength to play in New York, which is one of the hardest places to play and throw a football in the NFL. In fact, and I think it's, Eli Manning had a better, he just watch, it's it's really, really difficult to throw the ball in the Giants' stadium. Reports are saying that Kyle Letta has average arm strength. Well, what do you know? Guess what I told you? Yes, Kyle Letta may not have the proper arm strength to play late in the year in New York. In November, December, uh, I don't know. I just don't know. And you can say, well, he played in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, but... The NCAA, the college football season, is much, much earlier than the NFL. You don't play in January. You don't play in December unless you're playing in a bowl game, probably in the South, probably indoors. So um, it's just, I I think Kyle Letta may not have the arm strength for New York. The last quarterback I want to talk about in, uh, in this little, whatever this is, like update basically from OTAs. Tom Brady has been absent from OTAs for the Patriots. He has not been at Patriots training camp. You know, this has not been very good for many people, I don't believe. But you know who it has been good for is Danny Etling. Tom Brady's absence has been very beneficial for the seventh round draft pick, Danny Etling, out of LSU at now with the New England Patriots. He's getting more reps. Whether he's doing well or not doesn't matter. Danny Etling getting, and Danny Etling getting more reps now is good for him. And they're actually saying he's doing pretty well. They're throwing a lot at him. He's a rookie. The offense is very complex. And people say that under the circumstances, Danny Etling is doing very well. That'll be fun. He's going to make the roster. I said he would. I can't wait to watch him in the preseason. I hope. Oh, I hope. because Look, Danny Etling is an NFL quarterback. Now, he got drafted the seventh round, but still, he did not have anywhere near NFL coaching in college. LSU's offensive coaching staff is abysmal. And so I'm very excited to see what Danny Etling can do with actual, real coaching. Remember, he's a smart quarterback who was in the Elite 11 back in the day when he was in high school. I think we could see some interesting, fun stuff from Danny Etling. He's benefiting a lot right now from the fact that Tom Brady is not there showing up at OTAs. We have two stories left. I'm going to drink some water out of my Montana State water bottle. God, I'm getting ridiculous. Um... Oh, so good. <clears throat> I'm late. I'm so late. My, my friends, are, friends are at trivia night right now at a bar, and I'm going to go after this. I'm, I'm 15 minutes late now. We have two stories left I want to talk about. Very excited. <clears throat> so, Donald Penn is a veteran left tackle for the Oakland Raiders. Donald Penn is 35 years old. Now, in the NFL draft the Raiders drafted another left tackle. The Raiders drafted left tackle Colton Miller out of UCLA uh, as their first round draft pick. Now, Donald Penn was mad. Donald Penn was furious when he found out that the Raiders had drafted another left tackle. He called up John Gruden. He was angry. And John Gruden did not pick up the phone. So I'm going to pause the story now. At this point of the story, I was like, when, when I heard this initially, I was like, Oh my goodness, come on, dude. Donald Penn, you're 35 years old. Grow up. If you don't want to lose your job, don't. Earn it. Work your butt off. Beat out the rookie. You're going to get the benefit of the doubt. You're a veteran. But then there's more to the story. So I initially was frustrated. I was like, dude, Donald Penn, you're 35 years old. Grow up. But then there's more. On Monday, Donald Penn and John Gruden saw each other and talked. They smoothed things over. And Donald Penn even said he would help develop Colton Miller. That's awesome. That's professional. That's great. Donald Penn, the 35-year-old left tackle, is actually going to work with the Raiders, and he's going to work with Colton Miller, help him get used to the NFL. And that's awesome. That's what veterans should do. You're being paid at this point to not just play. Maybe, Maybe, maybe not, whatever. But if you can, you're giving yourself more value. Even if Donald Penn is not the starter this year, I think he will be initially. But even if, or if he get, he'll probably move to right tackle, whatever. But even if someday down the road Donald Penn isn't a starter for the Raiders, he can still bring value if he's helping the young guys. And so I think ultimately, Donald Penn cooled off. John Gruden didn't answer the phone. Smart for John Gruden. Glad John Gruden didn't do that. Donald Penn was allowed time to cool off, really think about it, and now he's doing the professional thing. People are criticizing. Donald Penn, they're saying, well, what a hothead. He should not have freaked out. Look, I don't I don't criticize the man at all. Donald Penn felt threatened. He thought he was going to lose his job. And Donald Penn doesn't want to be fired. Do you want to be fired? Do you want your company to hire a guy younger than you and replace you? No, you don't. And so I, I understand why Donald Penn felt frustration and felt anger at first. Um, and I think it's cool that he cooled off. And in the end, he was mature. And by being mature and by helping the young guys Donald Penn, Donald Penn brings value to the Raiders. He might stay longer in the NFL, even if he doesn't play, because he's willing to help the younger guys. He has more value than just his value on the field. That's awesome. So I think the lesson here is that sometimes it's better to take a, like a, a break, take a minute, mull it over, take a deep breath, rather than just have a knee-jerk, angry reaction. And uh, that's what Donald Penn ultimately did. He He relaxed. He took a minute. And he will be professional about the situation, which is fantastic. And he's not just being professional. He's being gracious. And he said he's willing to help the young left tackle Colt Miller. That is awesome. That's what I like to hear in the NFL. Okay, you may remember. So, first of all, I'm so excited. I'm going to Dallas uh, next week. And so that's why I want to revisit Dak Prescott. Because you may remember, I said on last podcast that... Dak Prescott will improve next year. I said, be patient, but he will. And then in year four or five, he will improve. And next year, he's going to have his best year ever. So Lorne Malvo commented on something. And I wanted to share what he said. Lorne Malvo is one of my favorite commenters. He's always very calculated. He says often very articulate, smart things. He doesn't always agree with me, but that's, that's fine. I don't need you to agree with me all the time. I like when people push back. And so he brought up a very valid point that I wanted to talk about. Lorne Malvo said that Dak Prescott will not be the starter two years from now because Dak Prescott does not have the arm talent, the requisite arm talent to succeed in the NFL. And uh, that may sound like an attack from Lorne Malvo on Dak Prescott. I actually think he brings up a very fair, very valid point. So I want to address Dak Prescott's accuracy. Everybody knows if you watch Dak Prescott throw a football. Dak Prescott is not naturally accurate. It, it's just the truth. In fact, I, I was watching uh, in one of the Super Bowl coverage shows on Fox or I think I think it was NFL Network, actually, Dak Prescott st- uh, stopped by the set. And so Dak Prescott's being interviewed by Dar- uh, by David Carr, the former. If you know Derek, David Carr, it's Derek Carr's brother. David Carr is an NFL analyst. He's a former number one overall pick by the Houston Texans. He was a massive bust but I don't think it was all his fault. He's actually pretty talented at throwing the football. Derek Carr, sorry, David Carr, David, David Carr and Dak Prescott got into a accuracy competition trying to hit targets. I'm watching Super Bowl coverage from last year. And David Carr smoked Dak Prescott. David Carr, I I don't know. I, I know it's not a real situation. I know Dak Prescott's in jeans and a sweatshirt, but... Dak Prescott got kind of shown up. He looked not very accurate. He was all over the place throwing the football. And uh, you say what you want. Again, you can say this is not a legitimate situation throwing a ball, whatever you want. But I do know that if it was Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, they're going to hit the target. They're not going to get beat the way Dak Prescott got beat. He looked unconfident. He did not look put together. I don't know if Falco was involved, whatever, but I think that's a real narrative to follow is does Dak Prescott have the arm strength to be a high level, sorry, not arm strength. Does Dak Prescott have the accuracy? Keyword accuracy. He has arm strength. Does Dak Prescott have the accuracy to be a high level NFL quarterback? I don't know. But I think it's actually a, a f- interesting narrative to follow. And I, I believe in Dak Prescott. I do. But Dak Prescott does have real questions to answer this year with his play. Now I think Dak Prescott will improve. Accuracy is something you can improve on if you put in a ton of hard work. I believe Dak Prescott will put in a ton of hard work. But uh, I I have faith, but I really appreciate it. I wanted to bring up Lauren Malvo's comment because, first of all, I love Lauren. He's an awesome commenter. I I like him. I appreciate him. Uh, But I think it's a valid point. Dak Prescott needs to prove people wrong, needs to prove doubters wrong, like Lauren Malvo. Because, look, I I can believe in him all I want, but that's not worth anything until Dak Prescott goes out and proves it. I think he will, but he definitely has something to prove this year with his play in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. All right, that is all I have. Um, I I thank you so much. I'm going to go to trivia night. I'm going to go help Elijah and Taryn Uh, win at Trivia Night at Doomsday. I apologize. But um, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever it is. Help me grow the podcast by telling your friends about about this show. That is all I have. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate you guys. Ba-dum-bum. Bam, we are done. Bye.